I find myself constantly falling asleep the moment I sit down to pray. You know, I, I guess I'm just making up for the lack of sleep that my children are getting. You know, sometimes the best I can do is pull up the Bible verse of the day on some random website. And so then I shared that with my kids because I know their schedules are busy too. I think when I was single, I got used to spending huge chunks of time with God. And after we had kids, and especially with activities, sometimes that time gets crowded out and I have to be more creative. So I was reading the story of Mary and Martha because I so relate to that. Um, and I was wanting to teach my girls about it. But in the middle of that, I'm like, oh no, I forgot to switch over the load of laundry. So I put aside the story to go do that. So maybe I did miss the point. Hmm. Well, maybe you can relate to those struggles. I, I think we all want to have a more active and vibrant connection with God, but life often seems to get in the way. On this edition of Focus on the Family, we have some creative ideas on how you can improve that kind of a situation. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, today we want to offer encouragement and hope to busy parents. It's going to lean toward moms, but I think dads can learn a lot from what we're going to talk about today. Here's a quote from our guest. She said, I've run a marathon, walked for a month on a broken ankle, and moaned my way through natural childbirth twice. That's incredible. And in comparison to the daily grind of parenting, all of those things were like cake. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, man, that's funny. Uh, if that's how you feel, you need to lean into today's program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we're going to have some great ideas for you to reconnect to God, even in a busy period of your life. Yeah, and uh, Reverend Courtney Ellis is with us in the studio. She's an author, speaker, associate pastor with her husband, Daryl at Presbyterian Church of the Master in Mission Viejo, California. Uh, she and Daryl have three young children, ages nine, six, and three, and Courtney has a book that will uh, be the basis of our conversation today, Almost Holy Mama, Life-Giving <laughs> Spiritual Practices for Weary Parents. Courtney, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, my wife, Jean, loved the title of your book. Do you get that? Do women connect with that title? Almost yes. Holy Mama? She was like, that is perfect. Because <laughs> we never quite arrive. <laughs> or at least in your mind, right? It's, yeah. Did you know at the time of atonement, it's taken care of? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and sanctification is a process. Right, there you go. All right, so you started with the idea of contemplation, practicing the awareness of God's presence. That all sounds good, by the uh -huh. way. But doing that while you were driving around in the car, <laughs> shuttling your kids to and fro, uh, you put a note on your dashboard to help you. What did that note say? The note said, breathe Jesus, others outside. And it was a reminder first to take a couple deep breaths because I was often moving at the speed of light. Right. And then to think about Jesus and to think about the people who were in my car, the people we passed on the street, to look outside. And contemplation is so beautiful because we don't actually have to do anything except remember that Jesus is with us. And that changes everything because when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're frazzled, often we forget that God is present to Give us. Give me that example. I'm, I'm just wanting you to connect with that mom that is frazzled. And she's hearing you say, yeah, think about Jesus. Are you kidding me? I just changed a poopy diaper. Yeah. That's the whole premise of the book is I was so exhausted and so desperate for God. And so I read books on spiritual practices that would say, take an hour in quiet prayer. And I was 
just thinking, are you kidding me? You know, my children will burn the house to the ground. What I need <laughs> is Jesus. I need mm. God's help, but I can't fit more into my day. So how can I connect spiritual practices to things I'm already doing? So I'm not asking moms to do a new thing. I'm asking moms to think about what they're already doing and how God wants to help them. Yeah, which is great. It's focusing on something yeah. more significant than cleaning up after your child, right? All right, so day one starts in this new experiment. It went flawlessly, didn't it? I nailed it. Perfect. You nailed it. Nailed Tell it. us about it. Then, then, then you wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm an expert in all of these things. No, I, the first day I had a little note taped to the dashboard and I was going to make a beautiful handwritten whatever and, and I ran out of time so I scribbled it with a sharpie on the back of an envelope and taped it to the dashboard and by the time I had turned out of our street I was already distracted and I saw someone walking by with a cute tank top and I thought, oh, maybe I would like that tank top and I wonder where you can buy such a tank top and it's like I already, it's been 20 seconds. Yeah. I couldn't focus on Jesus for 20 seconds. Mm. My will was weak. My attention was weak. And here's the thing about spiritual practices. They're not about us pleasing God or finally being good enough. It's about returning again and again to the reminders that God loves us. Yeah. God didn't condemn me or shame me. God was like, I'm still here. Whenever you're ready, whenever you're done thinking about the tank top, I'm here. Courtney, one thing that I've noticed when I've interviewed uh, women who tend to, it, at least to me, they tend to carry a lot of guilt for coming up short. Mm -hmm. Women are far more inward looking about their shortcomings, I think, than men are. Maybe we have an extra dose of ego that just allows us to not look at our flaws as, <laughs> as closely. Women tend to just feel really laden with guilt if they don't get it done on time, if they don't get it done perfectly, if they don't fill in the blank, whatever that might be, the laundry, the dishes, whatever, working outside the home, am I contributing enough? Speak to that, that side of it, about that burden of guilt, and how do you get that yoke off your back? That is such a beautiful piece of drawing near to God in these spiritual practices. I expected to hear condemnation. I expected to hear you should have tried harder, you should have done better, but what I heard most often was, I love you and I'm here. And that would bring me to tears. It's bringing me to tears now because I do think moms especially, and dads too, but we have this sense of just striving and striving and striving. And parenting is so hard. You're going to fail a thousand times a day, even with the best intentions. You know, when your child begs you for macaroni and cheese, I want macaroni and cheese, I want macaroni and cheese, and you cook it and you set it in front of them and they say, I hate this macaroni and cheese. And you have a moment of, okay, you know? Make up your mind. Right? Like, I did this thing to love you, and then I got this response. It's normal to get frustrated, and it's normal to feel like, why did I even try? Um, but the, the beautiful thing is when we return to God, God reminds us that we are seen, that we are loved, and that we are not alone. And so many pieces of parenting are very isolating. I'm alone with my kids and no one sees us except Jesus. And this one-year-old won't remember if I was patient or not, but God is present to me and with me and within me. Yeah. I mean, it's good to say, it's good to think you're doing okay. Yeah. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Good enough is good enough. I think Gene and I, one of the things that we've constantly said, I don't know if you and Dina have said this to each other, John, but, you know, and this is probably pretty common, you know, I just wish we could have the do-over mm -hmm. with our boys being now 19 and 21 you know if we could just rewind that clock back to two and four we do so many things differently yeah. how, how do you manage that sense of guilt that i wish i could have parented better you only go through it you know the one time with whatever number of children you might have one to whatever but how about that feeling of wow 
Yeah, I I think that's a feeling that's so common to all parents. And the hard thing is your kids often remember the one time you lost your temper instead of the hundred times you didn't. Our, our oldest son, he was two years old and I was buckling him into his car seat and he had shorts on. And when I pinched the buckle, Ooh. I got his leg. And for what the kind next, of mother would do that? Right? I was not <laughs> I in no way intentional. But for the next year, oh. every time I buckled him into his car seat, he would yell at the top of his lungs, Mommy, don't hurt me like you did last time. You know what oh, I'm, I'm like? That's what he remembered. Not yeah. the 200 times, 300, 400 times I'd buckled him in perfectly safely. And so I think that's why we have to remember there's grace. We're not going to be perfect. And we are the parents that our children need. God has given us our particular children for a reason. He's given That's a great them thought. us for a reason. Yeah. And we're both making each other holier when we walk with the Lord. And sometimes that's through mistakes and sin that we need to apologize for. And sometimes that's just, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I would have put you in soccer and not in ballet. And <laughs> we just can't account for that. We can't see the future. All we can do is be faithful with what we know and what we have today. Let me ask you, uh, you mentioned your stories about bedtime and how they typically ended up being the greatest fight of the day was bedtime. Hmm. I guess, describe what bedtime looked for you. Paint that picture for us. Bedtime, man. Bedtime's so hard. Bedtime by bedtime, you you're didn't exhausted. strap them in and just you're, shut the lights off. Wouldn't that be so great? <laughs> that would be so great. That's a joke, by the way. Yeah, everybody. They, you're tired. They know you're tired. Maybe you've been super patient all day, but that hour before bed is so tricky. And suddenly, your child, who's a bundle of energy, is a sloth getting to the bathroom to brush their teeth. And so, I connected the spiritual discipline of service with bedtime, and not service as in enabling my kids, doing everything for them. Our oldest would love to just stand there and have me brush his teeth. And I was like, no, 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 you can do this. Yeah. Um, but remembering the ways that God serves us. And so the symbol of service in the Bible is often the towel, Jesus washing his mm -hmm. disciples' feet. And we often ended our day with a bath time. Mm -hmm. So what did it mean to focus in on how God served me as I served my children? Um, I had to put my phone away for the entire hour, which was harder than it should have been, but very effective. And together, my husband and my kids and I learned how to serve each other and how to be a little bit more patient. And if you read that chapter, sometimes it went super well. <laughs> Other times it absolutely did not. But it was the spirit of serving my kids, trying to serve my kids with the love of Jesus rather than just the drudgery of the end of the day. So here's a real practical one. How, how did you manage, mommy, I want more water. We just put that and sippy then five cup minutes with the later. lid right in the bed. They sleep with that water cup. That's the how you fix cup. that. Yep. There it is. Yep. Cup Enjoy. with the lid right in the bed. That's that, that one, that's one of the only tips I have. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, we're talking about um, being a tired parent and seeking after God. And uh, Courtney Ellis is our guest today on Focus on the Family. Uh, she's got this terrific book, Almost Holy Mama, Life-Giving Spiritual Practices for Weary Parents. Courtney, uh, let's go over a few of those experiment outcomes. Being a science guy, I like that. But what were some of those failures and successes in that idea of serving your children? So when I wrote that chapter of the book, I intended this book to be a 12-month experiment in spiritual practices, and it ended up taking me over two years. Oh. For reasons that I talk about in the book, that just things got delayed and stretched out, and life <laughs> happened. We, I, I got pregnant with our third, and it was a rough pregnancy. Um, but the spiritual discipline of service is wonderful because it parenting is all about 
serving and you're you're making the food for your kids and you're changing the diapers for your kids and you're buckling them hopefully safely into their car seats and all of these things and what i started to learn was when i became aware that jesus was in the boat with me um i just I felt so much less alone in this evening routine. Often my husband had meetings at church. I was still on maternity leave. And so it was this long hour of loneliness until I started realizing Jesus was in the boat, right? This is the story in the gospels of the disciples in the storm and they're terrified and suddenly they realize, oh my goodness, Jesus is in the boat. And yeah, yeah, when you realize you're not alone, it really does transform the experience. And there were nights where I would have to apologize to my oldest son in the morning because I was not as patient as I wanted to be. There were nights where our youngest went to bed beautifully and then woke up in 20 minutes thinking it was morning. Mm -hmm. And then we put him down again, and then we put him down again, right? It was relentless. And Jesus was in the boat. Yeah, I can relate to that youngest that's kind of was my attitude as a boy i got up way too early like four or five in the morning yes to go outside and play batman (laughs) (laughs) but life why why sleep life away there's so much fun you can do our middle kid we we call him the piece of toast because he would pop up at 4 45 in (laughs) the morning and he was up for the day and i was like dear that kid there is not enough coffee in the world yeah people my mom just let me go i mean i'm sure her friends are going seriously (laughs) and he was so happy it was hard to be mad at him, but I was like, oh. I got to meet him someday. Yeah, he's 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 a trip, man. <laughs> Let's describe how you learn that you can't be Jesus to your kids. I think this is another one of those control features for moms, particularly both moms and dads. But moms tend to have a little higher dose of, you know, I can take care of their surrounding. I can manage it. I'll put them in the right place. I'll put them in the right class with the right teacher. I know every teacher, you know, all those things. And you start to like, over guide everything you're kind of being god in their life yeah and we we talk about this in parenting ministries you're the first jesus your children will see and that's way too much pressure jesus is jesus you're the mom you're the dad and that's all you need to be and that's wonderful grace to remember that these children are entrusted to our care but we're stewards of them ultimately they belong to the lord um i had a lot of fear with our firstborn that when he was a baby when he was an infant he would be one of those sids babies who died and didn't wake up and so i would check on him every hour and My husband was like, you need to sleep. And I said, well, I can't sleep until you promise me he'll be okay. And he said, Courtney, I can't promise you. Right. I can't promise you. But what I can promise you is that Jesus is in that room. Yeah. In that way, you're talking from a a position of fear. So that's a good thing to attack. You know, that we can't control outcomes. We can't control what's going to happen. And I'm sure some people are listening that have lost a child. My brother lost his son. So, I mean, it happens, and these are serious moments, you know, but this is life, and if you're fearful about every potential environment your child's going to be in, you're not going to be living in peace. And me being afraid of that wouldn't stop it from happening. It would just drain me of strength and courage. How How do you move from that rail of fear to a better place, a better rail of trust? It's going back to that Jesus is in the boat, right? And whether I feel fear or not, whether I feel courage or not, that reminder that we are not alone, that God goes with us behind us and before us and on every side, that we are hemmed in behind and before. I mean, the Psalms are great because the psalmist will pour out this fear and then there's often this turn of, but I will trust in your unfailing love, but God, you are with me. And so I think we we are pretty incapable of, 
walking away from fear on our own. We can try and we can drum up kind of false bravado, but the reminder of the presence of God for me was a big, big part of walking away from fear and walking away from control. Yeah, Because our kids are still fairly young. We can fix most things with a popsicle or a Band-Aid. That gets harder as the kids get older. But again, we are stewards yeah. and we slowly release them more and more fully into God's care. It's so care. true. And if Jean were here, she would say she feels like she learned that lesson a little later than she would have liked to. The boys were late teens when she realized she really doesn't control them. Mm. I think our oldest even once said, Mom, Dad, you can't control me. I mean, you want me to do the right things, and I want to do the right things, but it's not going to be because you told me to. It's because I'm going to choose to do the right thing. Mm. Yes. That's pretty good wisdom from a kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, right then I thought, okay, he's got it. He knows if he's going to choose something of darkness versus the things of the Lord, right? I mean, he's got that capacity already but it is his choice and parents just take a little longer realizing that and uh it's a good lesson to learn absolutely <laughs> and and i think one of the ways parents of younger children can do that is by letting our kids have some reasonably safe natural consequences so sure. we go to the playground all the time i live in southern california and we're we're very spoiled we can do it 12 months of the year and I try to let my kids have some physical adventures, but there's always a parent or two at the park who's that helicopter, you know, like, oh, are right you okay, are them. you okay, are you okay? But my kids will say, mommy, help me down. And I'll say, mommy is here, but I think you can do it. And let them stretch themselves and let them try those things in a way that is safe, in a way that they learn to have some courage. And our rule is if you can't climb up it on your own, you can't go up it mm. um, because they're always, mommy, put me up there. And I say, no, no, no. You know, and then they'll stretch That's and good. they'll grow and they'll learn. And sometimes they get three steps up and realize, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then they have the option. What am I going to do next? So a little bit of natural consequence to let our kids explore, to let our kids try things Not bubble that are pack. challenging. <laughs> Yes, to not bubble wrap them, because I think if you're not able to do that with younger kids, it, it's harder when they're older. And I think that chance of rebellion tends to be higher because they've never been able to have any. Yeah, you're actually developing a skill set. Yes. That's the key. And uh, parents need to realize that you want them to be responsible, even for how high they climb. Thousand That's pretty percent. good. Let me, let me take us back to dinner because I think it's so important. We do a lot of review of the research that comes out on family, etc. I think we're hopefully one of the best informed organizations on the data on family, marriage, parenting. One of the key things is having a meal together. Mm -hmm. And again, I give Jean such great credit. She was good. I mean, I bet uh, certainly when I wasn't traveling, when I'm at home, 100%. We had dinner pretty much at 6 o'clock every night, very predictable. Put the technology away and we'd sit at the table. I'm proud to say that I think I got Trent and Troy to blow some milk out of their nose from time to time with a little <laughs> bit of laughter. It did become my goal. <laughs> but it's just having fun. It's that communion as a family. You you were big on that as well. And adding that spiritual discipline and, and talking through spiritual things. Explain what you did at dinner. So we tied the spiritual practice of the examine to our family dinners. And that is, to put it in the simplest terms, just thinking about where you noticed God in your day. So oh, the good. high of your day and the low of your day and where you noticed God. That's and good. yeah, it's from the Jesuit tradition and Jesuits were people on the go who needed time to reflect at the end of their day of where they noticed God at work. And so we would do this and you could do this with tiny, tiny kids. We started it when Lincoln was three years old and we would say, you know, it was the best part of your day and the worst part of your day and where did you see God? 
I think there are a lot of families who love to take this meal time together, but then there are some that can't. Um, we have a lot of families in our church who they they work in law enforcement or things where the schedules just don't right, line that's up. Fair. And so if you can choose another time, you can do breakfast, you could do bedtime, or we're going to see each other again on Thursday. Let's do it on Thursday. So no guilt. But it's a wonderful exercise to get to know your children. Oh, what yeah. was the best part of their day? It usually wasn't what I thought it would be. What was the hardest part? And then to begin to cultivate the awareness of where was God? And it also helped my husband and I get to know each other because so much of our days are unseen by the other person and to hear what the best part was, what the worst part was and how they noticed God at work. It's really simple and it's really fun. Now your little guy Lincoln tried to game the system here. What did he do? Yeah, he did. Um, so <laughs> we learned very quickly. We had to kind of let him find his own way into it because by day three, day one went great. And yeah. I felt so good. I'm a great parent. I'm nailing this. That's always the first clue that things are about to go south. <laughs> day three, he would say the high of his day was, you know, going to the park. The low of his day was he didn't get to go to Legoland. You're right. But maybe he'd get to go to Legoland tomorrow. Mm. And this that went God on. God would answer his prayer. This went on for a while, right? He's begging for theme park tickets in the middle of his prayer. <laughs> and at first, the controlling part of me wanted to like, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. But I had to just let him find his own way. And eventually, eventually he did. Yeah, and that's such a great, uh, you know, great way to know your child's heart. That's the key. That's what you're pointing out. Yeah. How did you solve the the theme park ticket problem? We, yeah, and he kept saying it like that was a thing we did all the time. It wasn't. I don't even know. You know, the kids at preschool were telling. I don't know. But what we did was Daryl, my husband Daryl, and I just modeled it. We would do a high, we would do a low, where we would do where yeah, we saw God. Consistent. And it took a few weeks, but eventually, right, the low was a friend getting hurt on the playground, and the high was. Mm -hmm you know, having dinner together. And, and yeah. sometimes also the high was when he went swimming and he got to see all the sharks, which didn't happen. There right. were no sharks, right? So the three-year-old's imagination. But I think, I think Jesus smiled at all of it. And sure. I think God was glorified. So to let him find his own way was, was a good hmm. learning opportunity for both Daryl and I. Courtney, sometimes, and this will be the last question today, but let's come back next time and continue the discussion. There's more to talk about. But I think sometimes we overcomplicate things as parents. As you're saying those things, the simplicity of what you're saying is so critically important that, you know, we want our three-year-old to be a theologian, you know, rather than just those little lessons that accumulate over time and create in your child a God-centered heart. And that's really the goal. It should be the goal with what we're doing. Not to where it's dramatic every day, but more drip irrigation. And then, uh, you know, by the time that child's 18, if you've done that well, predictability would suggest that your child will have a heart for the things of God. That's the deepest hope, right? Is yeah. that the faithful repetition. And that's so much of the Christian life. That's Eugene Peterson's, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Right. So you may not have some big thunderous come to Jesus moment at the dinner table, but they will see you being faithful day in and day out when it's easy and when it's hard. And when it goes badly, they see you apologize. And right, it's like pouring water into a basket some days and you feel like this didn't hold anything, but the basket is wet. And that's something. And it is those little things 
things. And if you think about it in the grand scheme of parenting, so much of parenting is repeating the same thing over. Sit down at the dinner table. Sit down at the Say dinner thank table. You. Sit down at the <laughs> Say dinner thank table. You. Right? I've <laughs> Say said please. It, I've said it 80,000 times. <laughs> oh, and I know that that's true of behavioral issues or manners or things like that. How much more true is it of spiritual things? So we true. think we've said it once and it's gotten into their heart and their soul. It hasn't. It's not true for me either. I need it a thousand times. Yeah. And you just stay consistent. And then lo and behold, things happen in a positive direction. You know, and I'm thinking of the parent that might have that prodigal child, that teenager. Just stay true to those convictions. Be loving and kind. Apologize where you need to. And then the Lord's got to work in that child's heart. And uh, that's the one thing. He's given everyone free choice, right? Even to accept him or to deny him. And it's an interesting model for us as parents, you know. That's how we concluded part one of our conversation with Pastor Courtney Ellis on this episode of Focus on the Family. And we do encourage you to make plans now to join us for part two. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. I think there are so many mothers listening who can relate. As a mom with three kids, Courtney understands the struggle of finding time to connect with God in the midst of motherhood duties like changing nappies, dishes, laundry, and countless to-do lists. I hope that you've been encouraged by some of Courtney's tips for creating spiritual growth, intimacy, and renewal. For busy moms and dads, I really want to encourage you to step out of the busy routine enough to join us at our parenting event with Rob Parsons and Catherine Hill called What Every Parent Has to Know, Bringing Up Kids in a Changing World. We're at Joshua Generation Church in Sunningdale, Cape Town tonight and Common Ground Rondebosch tomorrow night. You can also join us for a morning event at Common Ground tomorrow titled A Mind of Their Own where Catherine Hill will share practical tools for anyone wanting to strengthen their child's emotional resilience. Then next week, we're in Durban at Currow Hill Crest and Freedom House Belito on the 28th of February and the 1st of March. And then we end in Pretoria at Choose Life Church and Levende Woord on the 2nd and 3rd of March. All the details are at safamily.co.za. I hope you'll book your tickets today. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Alison Schnell, inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.